0: From the University of Alberta Alumni Association, it's What the Job. I'm Matt
1: Ray. I think it's always been about bringing people together over food and always about building community. And I think that that's like, will forever be a part for us.
0: This episode, we talk with Nate Box about the grueling but satisfying life of a restaurateur. Nate is the CEO and founder of Black Box Hospitality Group. He's the man behind many popular Edmonton cafes and restaurants, including Elm Cafe, District, Little Brick, Fox Burger, and June's Delicatessen, just to name a few. Nate talks about what it's like to open a restaurant, successes and failures, and why building community means so much to him. What the job is made possible with the support of our affinity partner, TD Insurance. Did you know that... Through the TD Insurance Mellish Monics program, University of Alberta alumni are entitled to preferred rates on car, home, condo, and renter's insurance. Save even more by bundling your car and home insurance. To learn more about how you can save, please visit tdinsurance.com uAlbertaAlumni. So what's your name and what's your job?
1: My name's Nate Box, and I am the founder and CEO of Black Box Hospitality Group.
0: And what do you do what is a day? Is there a regular day with that There's kind of no job
1: regular days?
0: What are some regular things you might do for that? And um, what is sorry and what is uh black box hospitality?
1: Yeah, Black box is a is a restaurant group or hospitality group that um, owns and operates a handful of food and beverage establishments throughout Edmonton. So uh, we've got a couple or one downtown and one just outside of downtown. And then we've got three up in the northeast, and um, it seems to always be changing. And so that's black box. And um, I would say what an average day looks like is hmm, right now I'm doing a lot. Like we just came out of a serious growth phase, and so I'm doing a lot of um, hands-on construction, which I actually really enjoy um like physical construction like physical construction, getting down there like drywalling. earlier this afternoon I was cutting pieces of MDF for trim for a set of French doors to install
0: like any good CEO like any good CEO <laughs>
1: yeah and then um the rest of the time I am kind of working with our senior management team so we've got probably eight or ten managers that I kind of work alongside and help wherever I can so whether that's advising or giving direction or simply solving problems for them, that that's my role.
0: And you came out of a science degree. From I did. A, and what led you into this world of restaurants? <laughs> I
1: was a hell of a lot better at uh, cooking than I was at studying. <laughs> <laughs> that's about it. Um, no, I, my entire, I started cooking when I was 16 um, as a means to simply like make money and pay for like, I don't know, gas in a tank. Yeah. And then that kind of transitioned through a skill set into into paying for university. And um, from there, I think it was about third year, at the end of my third year, as I watched as a lot of friends went on to medical school, um, I, I I just, it didn't click with me. And so I felt like I was working three times harder to get half the grade, and meanwhile I was walking into restaurants and being like, "This is a this is a no brainer. Like this is so easy. I don't know what you guys are complaining about." And it just felt like it came naturally. And so um, I had a really amazing opportunity at a at a U of A like campus institution called the Sugar Bowl, and it just clicked and so my third year i started working there part-time and then my fourth year i was working there full-time and going to school full-time and it just it came naturally
0: and you just discovered that cooking is the thing that you're good at
1: (laughs) just discovered that it was like it was the cooking side but it was also the 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 management side and like the growth and development side of of the business Mm. um it's interesting because I I didn't come from a business background. Uh, the only time I was ever in the school of business building was to like shortcut <laughs> and avoid winter. Um, but generally, it just it just felt natural, and so the numbers make sense and the recipes make sense. And there's finite skill that is required to not only cook but to run. Uh, restaurants or cafes or bars or anything like that. And um, it just seemed to click.
0: Just to stay on cooking for a second, because I'm fascinated (laughs) by cooking. I'm not very good at it. Okay. Uh, Do you see cooking as more of an art or a science? Mm. Or maybe both?
1: I wouldn't say that it's either or. I would say that it's both. I think that there is a definitive, like a scientific component to getting the basis of it. But the artistic component comes when, you actually need to start creating. So, um, to make a hollandaise is very like systematic. It's very like recipe driven, and it's very pre- precise. But if you want to start composing dishes that might use a, a component sauce or something that 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 takes a certain skill set and a certain I don't. I would say that it's it's an artistic component, but it's also there's a certain like business acumen that kind of cues in as well because our palates are always changing and our our society is always changing with their with their hot trends kind of of the avocado toast. What's the next thing?
0: Yeah, um, and so I I'm kind of interested, in I'm going to stay on cooking for a little bit yeah. longer. I know. This always happens. I just go on my own <laughs> little thing. But you said you started cooking uh, at sixteen. Yeah. Was that when you started cooking for money, or is that where you started developing? That's when passion? I started
1: cooking for money.
0: Where did the Where did the passion for doing it come from?
1: Uh, I can remember like baking and helping out in our kitchen when I was like pre-school years, wow. like with my mom. Um, I can remember like making cookies and stuff like that with her. Um, And most of the memories that I have as a child are are geared around, like, food, Um, whether that be food fights or, yeah, baking or family dinners or anything like that. Um, I really got into it, though, for money and because lots of good-looking girls worked at the restaurant that I (laughs) went to with my parents one time. (laughs) And then
0: somehow— so. Cooking was a thing that you came into. It was Mm -hmm. a thing that you sort of felt like you had a natural acumen for, a natural talent for.
1: Yeah. A a handful of years ago, I kind of, a handful, gosh, it's been almost 10 years ago now, I kind of came to this realization or acceptance of I will never be the best chef in the room um, because I have now kind of, after running kitchens and then, branching out on my own and going to hire chefs to help alongside or work alongside or run on their own department or their own restaurant or whatever. um, I've kind of come to grips with not being the best chef in the room. And so while I can cook, great, but I I don't think that for me, like I wouldn't say that I'm a good cook. I know how to cook and I I know – exceptional cooks and like the number of chefs that have either worked with me or still work with us are truly remarkable chefs and so I can understand and I can talk their language but I can also sit with our finance officer and talk his language and I can sit with our marketing and talk his language and I can just bounce around like that and I think that that's more of what I contribute to our team.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, the skills growth, because you started yeah. working in a kitchen, you're 16 years old, eventually you're at the Sugar Bowl, you're working there. At what point did it click to you that it's not just about the food, but that business side too?
1: Yeah, I think that that was um, definitely during those kind of formative kitchen years in, at the Sugar Bowl, where I went from working in a major national brand um, That was very precise. It was honed in on 10th of a gram and half an ounce here. And, And it was just very precise. And that's how it always was. And it was like, to this day, like we still have rules where it's like when you're portioning, it's like always under, never over. And those simple things like that were pounded into me in those like 16, 17, 18, 19 years when I was learning about restaurants, was learning these numbers and learning precision and learning like stick to the to the rule book kind of and then being given free reign and control um abel's a great friend of mine he's owned the sugar bowl for 30 or 40 years now and we're great friends and he literally was at the point in his career where he's just like i can't be here anymore and here and handed it to me and so that really was a like you gotta pony up or or move on out and it was such an opportunity to really start honing in on some of these things and looking at like, okay, I know how to like look at a, at a menu for instance, and see like where there's grammatical errors or how you need to organize the components to actually like market or sell or, or is it properly indented or is it the right stuff bolded and like that typography kind of stuff because of, my schooling like I just had that ingrained and so that was a fun component and then you add in like I've always loved numbers like it's always just something that's come naturally to me so in a restaurant that even makes more sense and comes into more advantage where somebody else is sitting there trying to figure out pulling out their phone or calculator or whatever and I'm like already with the answer like whatever 15 on 270 is and then you just you know these numbers and so it's it's a fascinating like kind of put it all together for me
0: uh it's you know just to go back to chefs for a second including mm-hmm. i don't know if this is like a controversial take cuz i'm sure people have different opinions but what are what are the skills that best serve a chef well i mean beyond just the literal ability to chop to precision or something like that what, i think
1: that Hard work and humility are two things that we, like, immediately and initially look for. Humility. Yeah. If you can't have somebody tell you that your food sucks and, like, you can't not take offense to that. uh, Like, if it offends you, if you get put out by it, if you tell them, like, they don't know what they're doing and you storm out the door kind of thing. I've known and I've worked or had worked. I've had chefs that have worked for me like that or cooks that have worked for me like that. And I think that that's like you're almost your own worst enemy at that point. There's a humility side of it where it is understanding that people's like, it's, it's preference. It's, it's literally like their own palate. It could, they may hate cilantro, they may love it, mm-hmm. um, but that's not for you to dictate. And I think that that's a, humility is a huge component of that, is realizing also that this job sucks a lot of the time it might seem like all excitement and exhilarating and great all the time. But I think that that's the 30,000 foot view of any job when it's like the grass is greener and like there's nothing fun or exciting about cleaning out a grease trap. But what's interesting about it is that there's like raw like chemical or physical like physic components that are, that are happening that you can understand and you can try and like bring that into perspective and really problem solve or troubleshoot why your grease trap might be plugged or why your dishwasher's not working and picking up a broom and mop and cleanliness, like that's that's crucial. But that requires a certain amount of humility. If I never, if I said like, I'm never gonna wash a floor, or I'm never going to do dishes, like <laughs> I, we wouldn't be having this conversation right here.
0: Yeah, I think people forget that cooking uh in, in professionally at least it seems like is a it's a grind mm-hmm. that there's a to you know gordon Ramsay makes it look like you just show up and yell at people but <laughs>
1: but the funny part is like it's true and the number of people that have said oh, like i i wish to i i would love to open up a restaurant someday and if you ever sat down with a group of tours and said like have you heard this before? Everybody would raise their hand. Like everybody has heard that they want to open a restaurant or a bar from a friend or a family member or just some random but the restaurateurs are kind of thinking like, Man, I gotta I gotta like batten down here and really figure this out because it's it's so much work. If you're not prepared to work six or seven days a week, ten to fifteen hours a day. Um chances are you will have a hard time succeeding in this industry uh i have missed more family functions and more birthday parties or more trips or all sorts of things to to put the work component of building these businesses first and i think that that's like it's it's a very tricky industry in that um You can have people from all different skill sets and all different educations and all different backgrounds, um, as potential employees. And so it is, yeah, it's, it's, there's so many variables at any given time that you have to be able to respond. And that often comes at a huge cost.
0: Definitely a sacrifice. Yeah. It sounds like what makes that sacrifice worth it
1: to you? I would say that the, the sacrifice to me is, is worth it in that, um, I still firmly believe in the in the power of like bringing great people together over great food. And I think that that's huge. Um, I've often said like we have such an ability to like be a huge component in somebody's day-to-day. Whether you're stopping for a quick coffee before racing off to your meeting or job or wherever, or you want to sit down and like, share a momentous like family dinner with us. We have this ability to really touch people on a daily and a very, a very like elementary basis. And that something that seemingly is often like, often kind of like an afterthought or slough to the side for us is like a real challenge to make great and to really like make important. So you can, you can scarf a cheeseburger in your car on the way to the mall on a busy Saturday with kids screaming in the back and and that's fine. But you can also sit in our new burger shack and like enjoy a beautifully crafted burger from arguably one of the best chefs in the city and enjoy a great pint of beer with it and really like that opportunity to just change your day a little bit is huge for me. I think it's always been about bringing people together over food and always about building community. And I think that that's like, will forever be a part for us.
0: Speaking of restaurants though, let's talk mm-hmm. about, cause I forgot this is a careers podcast. Um, let's go. What's the first, what's the first place you opened yourself?
1: Elm. So Elm is coming up on Elm Cafe opened in June of 2010. So That space, which as of a few short months ago, we just flipped it into a burrito shack for, I don't know if I'm allowed to say shits and giggles, but...
0: we Maybe we'll beep it (laughs) out, maybe we won't, I don't know. But
1: yeah, we just kind of got, we opened a, a, Elm was a tiny little coffee and sandwich shop in the Oliver neighborhood, so Jasper and 117th. That was the first place I opened in June of 2010, and it was... Uh, well, it's still to this day, it's, it's 200 square feet. It's the same size as your bedroom at home. It's a hole in the wall and a real opportunity to do something from nothing. And it was about all I could afford. And from there, we just grew. And so Elm, we made the decision yeah a few months back to flip it into a burrito shack. So that space is coming up in 10 years. It'll be 10 years this coming June
0: what were you doing like right before elm i'm just kind of curious how you got to the point where you're like i'm going to i'm going to open this place
1: yeah um like a year prior to elm opening i was at the sugar bowl and i'd been there for just about 4 years and then was starting to look for spaces and basically turned over every single rock in this city so um i had looked everything from 124th street to 96th street and everything from 104th ave down to white ave trying to find something that worked and happened across um the elm space because i was also doing like some consulting on the side and so i had a few friends in the industry that were doing renovations or needed help with menus or what have you and so i was doing that while looking and i approached what used to be called downtown bliss that was like this coffee and toast shack and i approached him and i was like i noticed you're closed if there's any way that i can help like let me know i live across the street and i'd love to see this and he was like "Mm, no we're actually thinking of selling it i was like oh Mm -hmm. okay and then that conversation kind of went its own direction and yeah
0: and what it So when you when you got to the day and you were opening and everything like that, what were like, what was that like? I'm just really curious (laughs) about jumping into this. Chaos.
1: Elm. Elm happened because largely because my parents believed that I could just put my mind to something and, and do it. I think my my parents. Well, I know my parents have always been incredibly loving and supporting of what I do. Um, I think when I made the decision to no longer pursue a medical career, they were like, "Uh, and you want to go into restaurants? And my dad was like, you do know that restaurants are like the number one most failing industry in Canada or if not North America. And I was like, yep. (laughs) And so he just, like the two of them just backed me and and really supported. Elm also came to be because a lot of friends really – stepped up and so a friend of mine helped make the concrete countertops and in exchange I catered his wedding and another friend helped like patch and frame a wall and and it was just like people coming together like my community coming together and really helping um, to get this little bootstrap coffee shop and sandwich shop off the ground and it was long hours and it was I had friends even in the industry who are successful and accomplished chefs and to this day who I vividly remember being skeptics and being like, yeah, but is this really going to work? Is this really going to like turn into anything? It's 200 square feet. Like you don't actually have any seats. It's takeout only. We're a winter city. There's no parking. It's off the beaten path. Like... How are people gonna find you and and all this kind of I think further challenged me to problem solve and that's that's a huge part of what Elm is too.
0: And you never balked when they were pointing out all these things that to me seem very logical <laughs> no,
1: yeah, I think that I've always appreciated and I've told my team this too in that like and and shared this with others is like surrounding yourself like don't surround yourself with, people that are going to pump your tires, you want people that are going to kick your tires. Mm. and That's like an important part for me is that there's no shortage of people that'll pat you on the back and be like, this is great. This is great. This is great. I love this. I love this. I love that. And you're like, okay, not to be dismissive. There's something and I've had to train myself to, to take the time to really step back, appreciate and like accept that compliment because i think that that's been a huge part of personally for me to just be like no we can always do better i grew up with a father who when i brought home report cards i vividly remember like grades in the 90s and him being like oh what happened to the other eight <laughs> percent I'm like, <"What> the hell <laughs> like okay fine um and that's just the environment that i grew up with and and to this date it still works like Looking at this door that I'm working on this afternoon, only seeing the deficiencies, I've now had to default or defer to somebody else and be like, do you think that this eighth of an inch gap at the top really matters? And everybody's like, no, you can never notice. Nobody will notice. Just accept it and move on. I'm like, "Okay, great. But I think that like with um, with my folks, it was they were able to like really teach me that and, and teach me to like look to improve and look to better. And surrounding yourself with people who are skeptics, I think, is is valuable in that if you can make them believers, then you've got everybody else covered. Yeah, And, and that's been huge for me.
0: And I think you talk a lot about uh, having people around you, this network. It's mm-hmm. interesting because you're talking about how one of the great things about having a restaurant or one of the passions that drives you is bringing together people over food. But it seems like that community extends also to the people that are sort of in your network or your social circle or the kind of people that you turn to for advice. So I guess is part of running restaurants like this about learning who to listen to and how to listen?
1: Yeah, I would say so. I would say that there's like over the years, I've really, I've really been fortunate in, in finding like wise counsel around me and that can come in all like shapes and forms um it was really wonderful we we were able to just a few weeks back do a friends and family evening for one of the shops that we opened, and we just opened it up and we invited 60 of our friends and family and so um i took on a business partner and actually two partners for this one restaurant fox burger and um it was a chance for us to like bring these people and, and put a, a lot of them in one room at the same time or at least with like a bit of overlap. And it was fascinating because you get to see like 60 or 70-year-old council kind of like wise people and 19 or 20-year-old like dedicated, hardworking working staff or friends and everybody in between and it was this like such a good network where i got to just kind of float through the room and really reflect and, and appreciate the amazing yeah that amazing kind of community and network that i've been fortunate enough to build
0: so let's keep going on yeah. this uh career path because um that's what i said i'd do <laughs> elm you started with elm yep uh, obviously, did well. It's still alive. Yeah.
1: Where did you go after that? So Elm was 2010. Uh, a couple, a year and a half later, uh, I was approached by a realtor friend who said he had a great spot that he had to show me, which we often hear. Um, and so we walked past or we walked through a place called Corona Coffee Station, which is there used to be in the Peace Hills Trust Tower on 109th Street and 100th Ave, and they had done a midnight move, and we walked through, and I walked through, I think a week before Christmas, that would have been in, I can't remember, 2011, 2012, one of those Christmases, and um, walked through, and I was like, this is brilliant, we need to do this, and so I um, I told him, I was like, talk to the landlord, talk to whoever you need to, take it down, don't list it, don't show it anymore, we need to lock this up, and we had managed to lock it up right before, um, like, in, in a handful of days right before Christmas, and so on, I think it was, like, Christmas Eve, I had signed the letter, and by New Year's, we had a lease in place, and between Elm opening and, and us committing to the space that's now district, we um, I had gotten into catering. And so we'd kind of pushed. And that was an answer to people asking, you come from a culinary background or you have so so much experience in restaurants. Um, can we? Can you do something for our Christmas party or can you do something for our birthday? Or... And so we started catering. And Elm grew into a rather sizable catering company in the background, kind of. Um, that continued until just this past year and so after district we opened I can't remember timeline wise I should have like a I need a graph yeah <laughs> I'll, I'll put one on my dropbox later but um somewhere along the line we did a short stint just one year out of the um, Botanic Gardens um, in Devon at the U of a Botanic Gardens out there just operating the concession and that was so fun. Um, it was a lot of hard work, but it really cha- changed and challenged us to be able to open multiple locations um, that were far away. It was a 40-minute commute to get there or something like that from, from our kitchen. Um, after district, we opened Burrow, which is, was down in uh, Central LRT Station. And that was a short stint. I think that that was a bit naive we grew too fast too soon and thought we could change the world overnight and it it kind of like blew back and so that was a a harder and expensive lesson to learn (laughs) um because literally i think it was like a couple weeks after i want to say it was a couple weeks after burrow opened we began construction on little brick And so then Little Brick was this, like, total anomaly that I did not really see growing into what it ended up growing into. And um, it was supposed to be this quaint neighborhood cafe that grew into this, like, destination hub for everything. And um, it was really cool to, like, to, to see that and to really grow with it. And then... Two years ago, we had the opportunity to take over... Two or three years ago, we had the opportunity to take over more space at District. So we like tripled our footprint and now have like the big prominent corner in Piesel's Tower. And I don't know. We flipped Elm into a burrito shack. And then we opened a liquor store, a Jewish-inspired deli, and a burger shack about a month ago. <laughs>
0: why do you keep <laughs> why do you keep opening new places what is it that makes you want to like yeah. a lot of people will be satisfied with just one good successful place
1: I think it's a blessing and a curse to be honest I think that it's one of those things where I love the business development growth dreaming seeing something from nothing model or idea I just I love it I love walking through even just walking in here it's like you noticing, spaces and and available spaces and driving through downtown and being like wow okay i love that not just the dreaming part of it but even like taking it to right to fruition and then throw the keys to somebody else Mm. that's that's really what i love um circling back and honing is something that i really do like kind of tightening up those deficiencies and stuff i really do enjoy but the So why do we keep opening new places or keep changing? I think it's also that I've never been so committed to any of these businesses that I can't, like you you hold them tight, but you're also holding them loosely. Like if it it has to go, it has to go. Catering wasn't making anybody happy, uh, including myself. It was incredibly overwhelming. We did something like 6,500 projects over eight years. Wow. And it was like, it was beyond intense. And I just, we finally had the discussion. We're like, do we want to continue this? With all the stuff that's coming our way or with all the things that we've already committed to, do we want to pursue this further? And the answer from my team was no. And I knew the answer in my heart was no. And so we just lopped that arm off and kept on going. What? I'm just,
0: I'm curious, like, were there ever times where you were panicked or worried or felt? Oh, yeah. And you just, you just kept going
1: anyway? Deal with it. Like, I, I vividly remember not sleeping the first real, like, the first winter that Elm was open. So this would have been January, February of 2010. I remember not being able to sleep. Not because I was worried about making rent or sorry, like being able to pay the business's lease rate or rent rate and and, or paying myself a salary is that I couldn't afford to pay my staff. And that was like a thing that kept me up in that there are other people reliant on me to provide for them and theirs. And that like just floored me. And so you lose sleep for a while and then you have to realize that You need to find a way to deal with this and you need to find systems and put them in place to give you buffers. You need to start making better decisions. You need to start making like planning better and also finding ways to like mitigate or manage or deal with the stress level in a more productive or more beneficial way.
0: It seems like, uh, again, it's about people. Were there any times where you felt like you were stuck, or was it always like you're you're moving so fast? I don't know if that's even possible um
1: stuck is a good question. I think that there's times when I have felt like that i don't I think that that is something that creeps up if I'm being frank and honest it's um these things have like the for instance, like the the lending that we had to pull to build a liquor store, a, a burger bar, and a deli is like a significant loan. Restaurants have very, 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 very narrow margins. Um, I think the only reason that there there's a bit of an exception there is that a lot of national brands kind of pad the numbers a bit in that they're big established corporations with huge, like there were decent sized returns versus like, so I think that when you look at national averages or, or North American averages kind of is that you get a more normalized, but if you were able to separate out the data and saying like small independents versus, and nationals aren't part of this grouping is that the, the margins are very narrow there. And so the lending that we pulled for these projects is significant. Um, It means that we have to be firing on all cylinders all the time for the next four years to clear them out. And that's if we say stagnant for four years, which we clearly haven't done. And so in a year or two or three or four or five, if we sign on to another project, we're just kicking that can further, further, further down the road. Um, But again, that's that's part of it. Mm -hmm. If we wanted to just stop and... Settle in a bit and kind of like stop the growth and development, which I do believe that we're at that stage now. I feel like with the gibber block developments, we've, we've kind of um, we've hit this kind of critical mass almost that we can step back a bit and stop pursuing and just figure out these five entities that we have and do them as best we can before adding anything else.
0: The last thing I really want to touch on is just uh, if there are people who are thinking about um, starting a restaurant or even just starting their first business or something like that, what do you have any sort of advice or thoughts or what are some things that they should keep in mind if they're going to try to jump into that world?
1: I would say that the, the understanding that it's hard work to go out on your own. Um, I don't mean that it's like it, it, it's it's taxing on every level it's it's emotionally it's physically it's mentally taxing it just it's a lot and so yeah i don't know very many tours or successful tours that by any means had like had it easy or had an easy way at it um there's and i would argue that the same for for entrepreneurs you you hit or you hear of occasional stories of somebody who kind of like hit the jackpot in a way with some real home run idea and it's off to the races. But most of the people out there in running their own places or starting their own places um, have like bled into them and poured every ounce of sweat that they could possibly muster and like cried over them at night. That's, I think that preparing yourself – for working twice as hard as you currently are is is a realistic measure. If you don't think you can muster that, then I don't know. Uh, Since we've talked a lot about community, can you talk a little bit about how mentorship has helped you? I think that um, mentorship and community, I think, are kind of like hand in hand. Um, I have friends that I've gone to for advice or counsel Time and again, and I've had those same friends come back to me with completely unrelated questions, and I think that that's a part of like a real exchange that that is like community driven or community based at its core. It, it just feels like uh, I had a question about taxes the other day, and was able to call a restaurant owner who is also a, an accountant by day. And he was like, okay, great, I'm glad you called because I have a question about... And so we kind of did this pickpocket um, exchange, which, it, which felt really great because it felt like I was able to give something and also receive something in return. And so it kind of, again, furthered that trust in each other, furthered that community with each other. Like, I've got nothing to hide. There is no recipe for success. It is simply just like... If you want to know how it's done, just ask. There's no secret formula here. There's no like hidden magic behind the scenes. It's great people coming together and working hard to try and build something. And that's it.
0: Okay. It's time for the TD Insurance Lightning Round. The okay. most fun part of this podcast, maybe. I don't know. We'll ask. Uh, uh these are For just this? quick questions and you can and uh, you can give them lots of thoughts but most people just go with the first thing that okay. comes to mind have you ever been fired no few people have been fired i believe it or about not
1: this. have i this isn't very lightning quick
0: that's okay no yeah. <laughs> never been fired
1: i have quit a plenty yes i was gonna say <laughs> have i ever been fired Mm-mm. no
0: When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew
1: up? Fighter pilot.
0: That would be sweet.
1: That would be sweet.
0: What did you want to do when you started university?
1: I wanted to be an ophthalmologist.
0: Wow. What's something you wish people knew about your job?
1: That dishwashing is the best position in a restaurant.
0: Oh, really? I was a dishwasher once over Christmas break. Why is it the best? They gave me free food. That was nice.
1: (laughs) That was the equivalent of pay. I was like You're 19, like, so pretty much. Like, we're not going to pay you. It was like $8. We'll give you dinner, though, <laughs> after the fact. Labor loss. Um, why is dishwashing? Dishwashing is like instant reward and gratification and solitude all packed into one. And so dirty dishes are there. You've got your station. You set it up. The dishes, the cutlery, the glassware comes in. You have a very clear task. Take the dirty dishes and make them clean. And it just flows and you pull out beautifully sparkling stuff. And without you, the whole restaurant crumbles.
0: That's amazing. <laughs> and it's
1: the solitude part is that you can just you just press in. I think opening night opening day or opening night for Junes or Fox recently. I was like in the pit for like A couple hours. It was beautiful. Yeah.
0: What advice do you have for someone who feels like they're in a career rut?
1: I would say sit down with the person you love. And if that's only yourself, that is totally fine. And figure out what you're currently doing that you don't like and how in the next five years you can change and get to where you want to be.
0: What do you think you'd be doing if you weren't doing what you're doing now? Fighter pilot, probably.
1: (laughs) Now my eyes are too bad. (laughs) Um, I've thought a lot about this, actually. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if I was in some form of like building or development.
0: Yeah. What's your favorite thing about your job?
1: I have, well, there's two things. My favorite things would be there's great coffee almost at any, like within arm's reach. And I have a phenomenal team that I get to work with day in and day out.
0: In respect to your education or your career path, is there anything you wish you had done?
1: Yeah, I probably should have tried a bit harder in Cell Bio 301 and 302. That actually lingers with me because I just didn't care. <laughs> and I was just, yeah, I don't think I've ever told anybody that, but those, that, you carry out excel i think i just got a pass just to get out of that guy's classroom but i should have tried more i think that that's that's a big one
0: we're all about the deep confessionals here (laughs) on what the job totally (laughs) nate thanks so much for coming on the show it was a lot of fun great okay that's it for another episode of what the job big thanks to our guest nate box for coming by and chatting with us about cooking and running a restaurant and a reminder that if you're looking for a way to share or exchange career resources with other U of A alumni, try out Switchboard at uab.ca/sboard. It's free to use and a great tool no matter where you are in your career journey. For what the job, I'm Matt Ray. Thanks for listening.